Uh, I'm uh, excited to be here. Um, have a lot of family here today. Uh, I'm glad that they're here with us uh, as well. But just honestly, just excited to get a chance to share with you guys um, and just excited to be um, worshiping on a Sunday morning with a church plant. Um, I, I love it. Uh, there is nothing more uh, exciting for me uh, than just the thrill uh, and the joy of church planting. I think it's something that's on God's heart. Uh, it's a crucial part, I believe, of God's plan for how he wants to advance his kingdom uh, all over the world. And we're seeing a resurgence of church planting uh, in America and even starting to see a little bit of a resurgence of church planting in Europe. And we've been seeing it for decades in, uh, in Africa and Asia. And, and I think it's something God's continually going to do uh, in, uh, in our country. Just as we continue to see things shift and change in our country, we're going to continue to see more and more churches planted. Uh, and I just, I love the excitement of it. I love getting a chance to be here um, with you guys. There's just a, a, there's an energy to it. We, um, our church just planted a, an, another church about 30 minutes away. Um, from from Little Rock, uh, where I am currently serving now at the Summit Church, we just planted in Conway, which is literally um, five minutes from where the tornadoes came through this week. Uh, and so our church has been out serving uh, all week long and uh, and being a part of that. Um, but uh, I, I even a couple of weeks ago, one of our first services there, uh, we have two services, uh, and at nine and eleven, I had been to the nine o'clock service, and we're about ten minutes into the eleven, and I I get that itch, that feeling of knowing, you know what, there's there's a church plant service down the road like 30 minutes. And I just, I literally just in the middle of it, I walked out of the sound booth, went and got in my car and just drove up there because uh, I just, I love it. Uh, and uh, and I, we had the privilege of being part of a church plant in Tuscaloosa. Uh, and there's just excitement and the celebration of, I mean, you guys, if you've been here, uh, how many of you were here, have been here since, you know, close to the beginning or have been here majority of the time uh, along the way? Okay, awesome. You guys are heroes and pioneers uh, in my book. Uh, but you know the feeling of at the beginning, of a church plant, everything's exciting. Everything's a celebration. You get a speaker and it's like, you know, you just <laughs> received a million dollars because there's just, there's this fun, there's something, there's the adventure of it. On a Sunday morning of showing up and realizing, you know what? We don't have an extension cord, you know, and you guys get the privilege of having your own building now, which I've never experienced in a church plant. Um, but, you know, you, you have that feeling of like, oh, no, there's no, we don't have an extension cord. Somebody grab, somebody go to Lowe's, somebody grab this. And it's just like this fun adventure. To, to plant a church, you have to be really close to a Lowe's and a Walmart, all right? If you, you can get anything you need uh, to tempt to plant a church there. And so I, I just, I, I love the excitement, the adventure, the fun of it. Um, but I also know that over time, those things can begin to fade. Um, you know, I, I know um, from, and I, I'm just going to say this up front, uh, Nelson doesn't even know I'm sharing this because I've actually changed what I was, what I, he, I'm not even preaching what I told him I was going to preach. Uh, so, because I've, I've changed. So this is not coming out of anything Nelson said. Nelson just brags on what God's doing here. Um, but I just, I know from personal experience um, that the, the excitement can just over time fade a little bit. Um, you know, the, the energy and the, you know, all the vigor and the, the new life that comes along with that. And it's very easy over time uh, to just find yourself in a place where the things that were new and fresh can become commonplace and the excitement of everything being a celebration point, those things that you once celebrated can just become something that you have to have to just keep things going uh, week in, week out, Sunday by Sunday, and it just can become very commonplace. And you can you can find yourself very easily, like I did a few years in, planting a church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where 
that moment, that feeling of we're here planting a church because the community needs us. And if we don't do it, nobody's going to reach those people. And just that, that feeling and that excitement can just at some point fall into, well, yeah, we're, we're having church and it's great. And God's here, um, you know, and, and that's great. And, and that's why we're here. But you just kind of lose that excitement and you lose that passion of we're planting a church because God told us to, and because if we don't, we're going to bust because God put it on our heart to do it. And you just, just, you can find yourself very easily in that just commonplace, we're just having church again. Um, and I believe that's just, that's not what God desires. It's not what God desires for any church, um, no matter if that church is two weeks old um, or if that church is 200 years old. It's not God's desire. And so for us today, what I'd like for us to do uh, is I would like for us to take uh, a, a step back for a second uh, and just look back into the scripture, look back into God's original plan for what he wanted the local church to be all about. Can we do that? I want us to look back at the very beginning. I heard uh, we need to look back at the original, look back at God's plan, his design, his intent. I heard uh, Steve Gaines say one time, uh, a copy of a copy is not as good of a copy as a copy of the original. All right, I'm going to say that one more time because that's just, it just takes you a minute to, to wrap your mind around that. A copy of a copy is not as good of a copy as a copy of the original. So we're not going to look at what any other church is doing because God may not want your church to be like any other church, but he does want your church to look like the church that he planted, uh, the original church. So we're going to look back uh, in the scriptures, and there's several places where you see kind of Jesus' last words to his disciples. Uh, we, want us, we want to take a minute today and just take a step back and look at when, when Jesus was going to leave the earth, all right? When Jesus got down to the end, he'd been there on earth for, you know, 30 some odd years. He'd been with these specific group of men uh, for three years. When it got right down to the end and he was going to leave, him with, leave them with his last set of instructions for them, what did he say? What did he want ringing in their ears? What did he want to be the thing that they would walk away going, what, okay, what was the last thing Jesus told us to do? Okay, that. What, what was the one specific thing that he wanted them to hear? And uh, there's several places in Scripture. You can see that in Acts. You can see it uh, at the end of, of Luke. You can see some specifics of it in John. But I want us to look today uh, at the first account that we find of that in Scripture. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew 28. Uh, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that is probably very familiar um, to a lot of us, uh, we call it the Great Commission. We've come to hear that. We've come to know that phrase. If you've been around church for any length of time, then you uh, you know what the Great Commission is. You probably could quote it, majority of us in this room. But my hope today is that you may see some things that you've never seen uh, in the Great Commission, uh, and, and you may just walk away with something fresh uh, from the Great Commission today. So uh, let me just pray and ask, uh, ask the Spirit to guide us in what we're doing today. So Father, we, uh, we come today to your word knowing that uh, I don't have anything to say uh, today that can bring about lasting change. I don't have anything to say today that can, uh, that can change our hearts, uh, but you do. And, uh, and this morning we, we come trusting in what Jesus said uh, in John chapter 16 when he said he was going to send the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth, would guide us into all truth. So Spirit, uh, do that today. Take us into truth, take us into scripture, uh, and show us the things that you want us to hear from you about what you desire a local church to be about and to look like. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you got your Bible, we're going to look at four verses. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, we're going to start in verse 16. Starting in verse 16. 
16 and 17 say this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain, uh, the mountain which Jesus had directed them. So there's a very specific mountain that Jesus had told them to come to. And they went there. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some what? Some doubted. Okay, before we get into the Great Commission, I want you to see there's a couple of things in this that to me are, uh, are encouraging uh, for me. They kind of make me feel a little better uh, about my doubting self at times. Uh, but just to notice the fact that, that this doesn't look like a well-trained army showing up ready for battle. All right, they, they don't look like, these guys have been with Jesus for three years. They've seen him do incredible things. They've just witnessed him dying on the cross. They now know he's resurrected. And it, you would think that they would be this well-trained army, fired up, ready to go. But they show up, and all it says is they went to the mountain that Jesus had told them to, and they worshiped him. But some of them didn't. Some of them doubted. Some of them were still wondering, what, what is this thing all about? Is Jesus really who he said he was. And so it's encouraging to me to see that, that these people, they, they didn't really have this overwhelming sense of confidence and this, we know what we're doing and we're going to get, no, they come and they've got this skepticism and they're doubting. But the encouraging thing to me is this, that they, what did they do? They showed up. Jesus had told them where to go and they showed up in the place that he told them to be. And for us today, when we talk about the Great Commission and we talk about the need for us to share our faith and the need for us to be the people that God's called us to be and to live our lives on mission, there are some of you in this room that when I said this morning, we're going to talk about the Great Commission, a few of you thought, oh, I've heard that a thousand times. I can't believe he's going to talk about that. Give me something new. A few of you got this like lump in your throat. And this like, you know, that churning nervousness in the pit of your stomach of, oh no, a preacher who's going to tell me I got to tell people about Jesus because it scares us to death. Many of us, the thought of living on mission, sharing our faith and being somebody who's constantly talking about Jesus and sharing Christ with people just scares us to death. It should comfort us to know that the disciples came with doubt and skepticism and confusion and they come in, but they still showed up where Jesus wanted them to show up. And for us, faithful discipleship, faithful carrying out of the Great Commission, faithful carrying out of God's plan for us as a church and for who we are as to be as his believers, as followers of Christ, really just starts with that. It starts with showing up in God's presence. It starts with just showing up in the place that God tells us to show up and basking in his presence, letting God wrap us up in who he is and in who he wants us to be. It starts with... The Great Commission, living out the Great Commission, starts with living in God's presence and just showing up there. So hopefully those things encourage you a little bit. Because uh, I know for me, uh, it just brings a sense of just, all right, I can do this. It just starts simply with showing up in God's presence. So now let's look at what he says. Uh, and again, these are, these are familiar words, but hopefully there's some things that you're going to see uh, in here that maybe you haven't seen before. Before he gets to the Great Commission, before he gets to uh, the statement of telling them to go, he says, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority has been in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All right, put yourself, put yourself in the disciples' shoes, okay? This should be an absolute no-brainer. These guys have walked with Jesus for three years. They've seen his authority demonstrated. They've seen Jesus take authority over demons, over disease, over sickness, uh, over sin, as he told them that he had the ability to forgive people. Uh, he spoke 
as one having authority to judge people after they were dead, something that was totally foreign for them. Uh, They saw him take authority over death as Jesus raised people, literally dead people raised to life. And now they've seen him exercise authority even over death in the grave himself and him coming back to life. It should be a no, I mean, it's a dead guy standing in front of him crying out loud. All right. There should be, why is Jesus saying that? All right. There, why is he ta- why is he setting them up with this all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me? That should be an absolute no brainer for the disciples because they've seen it demonstrated for years. I, I think personally, I think he's setting them up. Uh, I think you put yourself in the disciples' shoes, and I think uh, I think he's kind of pitching a softball for himself that he's about to just completely just blow them away. Because here, picture this. All right, like for the disciples in that day. When they thought about the Messiah, which they believed Jesus to be, when they thought about the Messiah, they were thinking somebody who was going to come and do what? Somebody who was going to come and who was going to overthrow the Roman government. They thought that the Messiah was going to be somebody who would come, who would take Caesar off the throne, and who would take literal, physically, earthly power, and it would be on earth world domination. So I picture Jesus, he's got, he's got him there, all right, they've showed up. They've showed up there. They've come, they've come to this mountain. And so Jesus has got the disciples there. And it's this, it's this last moment. He knows that he's about to go. And he knows that he's about to give them this last words. And he kind of comes in. And he says, hey, guys, listen, 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 listen. Come here, come here, come here. Okay, so here, here's, here's, I'm going to give you the plan, all right? I'm going to tell you what this whole thing's going to be about. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the disciples, because in their mind is this world domination thought, I can just see Peter going, he's hitting John. He's elbowing him going, yeah, 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 yeah. It's fixing to happen. He's fixing to tell us. He's fixing to give us the plan of how we're going to knock Caesar off the throne and how we're going to take over the world and how this is going to be world. You know, and, and I just see the disciples, they're, they're hanging on every word that he's saying, all authority in heaven and on earth. And that's where they're going, yes, has been given to me. So here's what I want you to do. And the disciples are going, okay, okay. I want you to, to go and make disciples of all nations. And you got to think that the disciples at that point are going, what? You want us to go and you want us to make followers of everybody on earth. You're out of your mind, Jesus. Yeah, Grayson, our four-year-old, when you say something that just blows, he said, what? You know, like just this high, I think that's what's going through Peter and James and John's mind at that point. They're going, what you want us to do? What? I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's his plan for the local church. That's Jesus' desire for eagle's wing as a body, for me as a follower of Christ. And so we're going to break that down, all right? And, and here's what I want you to see, all right? Uh, there are, we got to have a little bit of an English lesson here, um, a little grammar lesson for those of you who, I, I know some of you are like, I gave that up a long time ago. I have zero desire for that, but to fully, I got an amen over here. Uh, to fully understand this passage, you got to understand this. There are seven verbs in the Great Commission, Okay, 19 and 20, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Okay, there are seven verbs in that one sentence. In the Greek, there's only one command. Only one of those is a direct command. 
All right? So, all at once, I want you to say it with me. What is the one command out of the seven verbs in the Great Commission? It is go. You would say that exactly like I would have said that, and every single one of us would have been wrong. <laughs> every single one of us, it's exactly what I would, when the, when, the, when the question was first posed to me, what's the one verb, uh, what's the one imperative verb in the Great Commission? I would have said go as well, but here's the deal. The one command in the Great Commission is not go. The one command in the Great Commission, the one thing that Jesus wanted them to hang on to, the one word he wanted them, wanted lodged in their brains when they left thinking, what is this whole thing supposed to be about, was make disciples. Make disciples is one word uh, in, in the Greek, uh, and that's the one word that Jesus wanted them to grasp. That's the one thing he wanted them to hold on to as they set out to found the church uh, that Jesus wanted. So what does that mean? In their day, making disciples. In their day, the concept of disciple is, that word for us has kind of gotten watered down. And some of you, when I say disciple, uh, the first thing you think is, you know, discipleship training, or you think, you know, um, disciples of Christ, you know, which is a denomination. Or, you know, some of us, we just, we hear those words. Some of the younger folks in the room, there's a Christian band called Disciple. And, you know, there's just, you all of us have these kind of things attached to it, but in, in their day, it, it had nothing to do with those things. In their, in their day, the concept of a disciple had nothing to do with like this coming to a six-week class or learning this and then learning that. and then do, it, Being a disciple in their day was primarily about being a follower. It was primarily about being a follower of a rabbi. And so a rabbi in that day uh, would, have, uh, would have young men who would apply to come and be alongside him, to come and learn from him, be in his school. And they would basically, they would start out with, which is cool because the, they would apply to be a part of that. You notice Jesus flipped that on his end. The disciples didn't apply to be a part of, of his school. He went and chose them. He actually chose the rejects uh, who had not made it into the other, uh, who had not made it into to the school with the real rabbis. Uh, but, but here's the deal. They, they would come and they would learn some intellectual things. There would be a certain amount of teaching that would go into that and there would be intellectual concepts that they would have to grasp and learn and get a hold of. But more than that, being a disciple in their day was primarily about just literally following in the footsteps of that rabbi. Being a disciple was primarily about following and doing, they would learn to do what the rabbi did. They would learn to walk the way that the rabbi walked, to talk like the rabbi would talk. And they would literally begin to emulate this rabbi that they were following. And that's primarily what it meant for them to be a disciple. They would just become like their master. So discipleship in their day, when Jesus said, I want you to go and make disciples, what he was saying is, I want you to go and I want you to make followers. I want you, that's what this whole church thing is supposed to be about. It's about, to, it's about being a group of people who will go out, who will follow Jesus, and who will make other people become followers of Jesus. In fact, uh, in Acts chapter 9, uh, they, there was the, the Jews came up with this slang term. Uh, this de- was supposed to be a derogatory term for the church, and they called them followers of the way. Uh, because they were literally, that's what it was all about, was being a follower of Jesus. And that's what discipleship is. It's following uh, Christ. It's about heading down the path that Jesus would walk. Uh, When I was, help you understand this a little bit, uh, when I was in college, um, I, I traveled and 
led worship and spoke uh, at, at different camps and retreats and stuff. Uh, and my dad's here today. He can, he can attest to this. Uh, I would be getting ready to go uh, speak somewhere or lead worship somewhere. Uh, and dad would say, where are you going? Uh, what church are you going to? i tell him the name of the church. Uh, oh, where is it? I don't know. It's off exit 77 on I-20. Do you know which way you're headed? You know, is it, is it in East Alabama, West? No, I don't know. Well, how are you going to get there? Well, I'm going to get on 65, and then I'm going to go, I'm going to get on I-20. And if the numbers are headed towards 77, then I'm going the right way. If the numbers are headed away from 77, <laughs> then I'm not going the right way. And if it's that, I'll leave it enough time to where I know all I got to do is get off the interstate and go under and hop back on and go back the other way. <laughs> And, it, and it, this is a true story. It would drive Dad absolutely nuts. But I, I just, part of it was, I just, I didn't know East and West, you know? So just, just, but then I figured out Southeastern Conference. So East is that, after that, it was all good, all right? Football changed my life in that way. But here, here's the deal, all right? Being, <laughs> it's true, being a disciple, being a disciple is primarily about following in the right direction. That's why being a disciple, that's why becoming a follower of Christ primarily starts with repentance. And we hear this word repentance. Well, repentance is what? Repentance is I'm going this way. I see the mile markers and they're headed away from 77. And I know if I keep going in that direction, I'm not going to make it to where I need to be. And so what do I do? I turn around. I get off the ramp. I go under the interstate and I get back on and I go in the right direction. Making disciples is primarily about pointing people in the right direction. Primarily about pointing people towards Jesus Christ. And that's not always a one-time thing. That's not always something that you can do in an instance where you walk in and you sit down with somebody and you share the four spiritual laws and they make a decision and they're there and they turn and then you walk away and you're good and just another notch in your belt and hallelujah, glory, everything's okay. No, making disciples many times is about continually walking alongside somebody over and over and over again, sharing with them about Christ, pointing them to who Christ is, telling them what it looks like to live a life of a disciple. Uh, it's very, uh, very similar, uh, I think, to, to parenting. Uh, we have three boys, um, five, four, and nine months. Uh, our house is chaos, absolute <laughs> pandemonium chaos uh, most days. Uh, but, but here's the deal, okay? We, you know, I, I figured this up one time, you know, hundreds of thousands of hours, okay? I mean, like we've, our lives have primarily been over the last uh, four or five years, our lives have been about making disciples, doing what Jesus says at the end, teaching them to obey all that we have commanded them. We're teaching them to follow in a certain way, to go in a certain direction. Now, that takes a lot of time and energy and over and over and over again, sometimes sharing something, telling them to do something over and over and over again. But here's the thing. It, it involves sometimes making disciples, pointing people to follow Jesus. Sometimes uh, it, it involves just time with somebody. It involves just spending large amounts of time teaching them things, correcting them at times. Uh, you know, I, I can't tell you how many times, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, my, my lips have been busted like a million times by flying sticks or headbutts from an arching child or whatever. You know, it just, it's painful sometimes. Making disciples, making followers of Christ is painful sometimes. And, and, but here's the thing. It can't all 
just be about the teaching and the correction. At times, there has to be some celebration moments. Making disciples, making followers of Christ, at sometimes has to be about holding up for them the pearl of great price and telling them it's worth going after. This Jesus thing is totally worth going after. In our house, we had about a year-long battle over green beans. All right? I mean, it, I, 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 never, I thought Hudson would never eat a green bean. All right? I mean, like, it just... We would go, you know, eat your green beans, eat your green beans, please eat a green bean, please. And, but you know what? When he would finally eat a green bean, it, do, you think we, do you think we responded with, that's right, eat your green bean, boy, that's right, you did what I told you to. No. When he finally ate a green bean, if our neighbors had been watching through the window, they would have thought we just got a call telling us somebody gave us a million dollars. I mean, I'm talking like running around the table, dancing, screaming, he ate a green bean. I mean, like we just go crazy celebrating those things. Why? Because we want to hold up the pearl of great price and say to them, it's worth it. It's worth it to eat a green bean. Even though I hate them, it's worth it to eat them. And now he loves them. Now, like he chooses that over pizza, over anything. But here's the deal, okay? What Jesus is saying to us, what the church has to be about is the church has to be a group of people who are willing to do whatever it takes to find people who are going the wrong path, who are going in the wrong direction, who are heading down a path that leads to nowhere and to turn them around and say, hey, hey, listen, 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 listen. There's this Jesus that's totally worth following. He's totally worth giving your life to in every sense of the word. And so we need to be a group of people who are calling. That's what Jesus told his disciples. I want you to give your life to this. This is what a church should be about. This is what the people of God should be about, is a people who are making followers of Christ. Now, all the other words that he has in there, all six of the other verbs explain how we're to go about that. And I want us to just look at just a few of them. Uh, The first one is this, and this is the one that we all think about uh, when we hear the Great Commission. The first one is go. Uh, And when you read this in the original Greek, that go really does have this huge force on it because it, I'm not going to bore you with the participle of attendant circumstances, but that's the term for it. And it's just, I went to seminary for like one thing and that was it, all right? (laughs) So, but that word it literally means it, it holds the, the force of the command because you can't make disciples without going. When Jesus calls those disciples up on that mountain and he gathers them around and he says, hey guys, here's the plan. I want you to go and make disciples. Well, they can't make disciples right there. Why? Because they're all disciples. They have to go if they're going to make disciples. It's just understood that that's a part of it, that there has to be a going. If I said right now, I want you to eat hot wings... You can't eat hot wings right now. And if you can, we've got issues, all right? Because you've got hot wings in your pocket and that's just bad, all right? So like, that's a whole nother deal. But if I told you to go eat whatever, you would have to leave this place to do that. There's a going. And so when Jesus says, I, I want you to be about making disciples. And in order to do that, you're gonna have to go. And some translators along the way have said that that's more accurate translated as you are going. And and it is true. Basically what he's saying is as you're going in everything that you're doing, I want you to make followers of Jesus Christ. And you're going to have to go 
in order to do that. This is, this is deeply embedded in the heart of who God is. God has always been a God who sins. He's always been a God who, who is actively sending us. I mean, you look all the way back through the Old Testament. Very beginning, you see Abraham. God says, I'm going to bless you. I want you to be a people. You're going to have descendants like the stars. But the first thing I need you to do is I need you to go and claim this new land. God allows Joseph to be sent out into Egypt. He frees the Israelites. And he doesn't just free them to just be a people who are free. He frees them to be a people who are sent to go and claim a new land. Isaiah 6, Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, holy. What is, the, what is the thing that Isaiah says when he sees God in his throne room in all his glory? He says, God, here am I, send me. The bookends of John, I love this. This is so good. In John 1, we see God send Jesus to this earth to be our savior. And the last thing you see at the end of John is you see Jesus saying, just as the father sent me, so now I'm going to send you. God is a God who is all about sending us. We are a people who should live sent on a mission from God. And this is is a little bit hard um, for for some of us um, to understand. And and I think there's a a cultural shift um, that's happened over, I don't know, I think probably over the last 20, 30 years probably um, that that I think we as a church are going to have to grasp. And that's this. Notice that Jesus didn't say, what I want the church to be about is I want you to set up a building and I want you to get a location and I want you to make all the conditions right and then people are going to come. All right? Field of dreams was if you build it, they will come. Okay, not the church. God has not just, he, he hadn't just set us up to be a place where people come. That's not his intent for the church. The church is, that. that's primarily thinking of the church as a building. The church is not a building, all right? That's something that we came up with in the last 1,500 years or so. Primarily, in the beginning, the church was a people, and so Jesus didn't say this is all about coming. It's all about going, and and, and I think probably 40, 50 years ago, maybe 30 years ago uh, in the South, maybe even 20 years ago, it was just commonly expected of people to go to church. I mean, that was just part of what you did. It's just part of life. You, you, on Sunday morning, you need to be in a church. And when you would build a new church, it would fill up because that was just the commonplace thing that people did in that day is they would just, it was commonly thought of that you need, that's part of normal life. That's part of being a good citizen, you know, and a model American, you know, is that you just go to church, that those days are over. I sat on that bench out there a few minutes ago, uh, or before the service started. I was just kind of hanging out out there for a minute, and in just a few minutes out there, I'm talking. I'm seeing boats, four wheelers, ATV. You know, like just there. People aren't thinking about going to church on Sunday morning. All right, that's just not a part of what people do anymore. The idea of if you build it, they will come worked. 40, 50 years ago, but it just doesn't work anymore. So for us to be the people that God wants us to be, God is calling us to be a people who are sent. And we can look at the world and we can just sit back and point fingers and cast blame and say, you know, it's their fault. And whenever they wise up and whenever they stop living in sin and living, you know, then they'll wise up and they'll come and we're here waiting when they're ready. Or, or we can be the people that God's called us to be, to be a people who are sent on mission, living out the Great Commission. 
all of us. When Jesus, did, when Jesus said this to the disciples, it wasn't just for Peter, James, and John. It was for Thaddeus and Bartholomew as well, all right? The guys that we never hear about. This is an all skate. This is something that is intended for all of us to live. And we should do this as we are going. I love the way that I heard one guy say this. Uh, we should do this in the places where we live, work, and play. All right, everybody say that with me. Live, work, play. Live, work. Let's do it one more time. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Live, work, play. We should be thinking about living out the Great Commission, living out, sharing the gospel with people in every place that we go, where we live, in our neighborhood. You should know if your neighbors are believers or not. Not if they go to church somewhere. All right? Not if they, not where they attend church. You should know. How many of you even, I mean, I guarantee you there's probably some of us in here that we may not even know the person's name other than the person who lives right next door, right across the street. We should know in the place where we live and in the place where we work, our coworkers, the people that we sit with every single day in our offices, we should know if they're believers or not. We should be pointing them along the way towards Christ in the places where we play, the ballpark, um, the, you know, I mean, ballparks, coffee shop, restaurant, um, you know, hunting club. I mean, you know, whatever. I, I, um, I didn't ask permission to share this, but I'm, I'm going to anyway. Um, uh, my uh, one of my brothers uh, that's here today, uh, I believe, just from bits and pieces of story along the way over the last couple of years, uh, one of the primary reasons that he's following the Lord in the way that he is right now uh, in his life is because there was a godly man in a hunting club uh, who, when they would be there on the weekends, they would pray together, you know, and they would talk about Scripture, you know, and that man was making a disciple of my brother in the place where he lived, worked, and played. And so God's calling us to be his people, living that out until the point where we get to all nations. All right, and here's the deal, okay? When we hear that, typically what we think is all nations means, well, once a year I'm going to go on a mission trip with Nelson, uh, you know, or I'm going to go to Mexico. You know, that, that, that's, that, that's not what God meant. That's a part of the plan. But that's not what God meant when he said making disciples of all nations. He gave him the plan in Acts chapter one. He said, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, you start where you live, pointing people towards Jesus. And it just continues to go outside of that. I'm gonna, I'll close uh, with, this, with this illustration. Uh, if we were, if we took a gifted evangelist, all right? Very gifted evangelist. Um, let's just say Nelson. Let's just use, let's use him as an example. Um, so God's spirit is on Nelson in powerful ways. If, if God used Nelson to reach a thousand people a day, okay? So Nelson, God gives him a ministry in some form or fashion where he can preach to giant crowds and he's able to lead a thousand people a day to Jesus. If we froze the population of the earth right now, however many bajillions of people there are, all right? How long would it take for one evangelist reaching 1,000 people a day to, to effectively reach the whole world. Over 15,000 years. Over 15,000 years with one effective evangelist reaching 1,000 people a day. Now, if I as a believer, all right, I, I lead Russ to Christ. All right, Russ, come here for a second. I lead Russ to Christ. I disciple Russ for one year, 365 days, all right? So Russ is a non-believer. I lead Russ to Christ. 
I pour everything that I have into him for 365 days. I'm making Russ a follower of Jesus. Every time he tries to turn that way, I turn him back around. And I go, no, 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 Jesus Jesus is worth it. Come follow him. And I'm teaching him everything that I know. I'm pouring into Russ for a year, okay? A year in, I feel like Russ is at a place where I say, okay, Russ, you need to be, you need to be discipling somebody else, all right? So Russ, you go get somebody else. All right, go grab somebody. Actually, you two, you guys just come here. Come here. Y'all come on up, come on up. All right, so, so, so Russ, is, Russ, Russ goes and he leads a friend to Christ and Russ begins to disciple him, all right? At the same time, I'm still coaching Russ. I'm still pouring in him. I'm still teaching him some things. And then I, I start to disciple, remind me of your name? Roger. Roger. I start discipling Roger, okay? So this is year two. I'm pouring into Roger. All right, and, and so at the same time, I'm still keeping in contact with Russ, and Russ is taking everything that I teach him, and he's teaching it. So we're just kind of we're going along here, year two. All right, then at the end of year two, and I know it doesn't have always happen this way. Discipleship's an ongoing process, but all right. So everybody, go get one more. Okay, it's the last time we'll do this. All right, so come on, you guys, come on up, come on up, come on. Actually, yeah, just all four of you guys, y'all good. Come on, come on, come on, come on. We got we got to disciple kids too. Here we go. All right, so here's the deal. All right, so. So this is year three, okay? And so now you're, you're discipling somebody. Russ is discipling somebody. I'm discipling Scott now. And so we're, Roger's discipling. And so year three, we're all discipling somebody. Okay, we, we've led somebody to Christ. We're teaching them. We're pouring into this. Okay, one evangelist, a thousand people a day, 15,000 years to reach the whole world for Christ. If we go this method, Jesus' method, you know how long it takes to reach the world? 37 years. 37 years. If we go about Jesus' mission the way that he told us to do it, of all of us making followers of Christ. Okay, you guys can sit down. You guys can sit down. Thank you all. Jesus knew what he was doing, all right? He knew that he could have done it the way that they wanted him to. He could have overthrown Caesar, made this a world domination thing that was all centered around one, but he knew that it was better. Jesus said, it's better for me if I leave and I put the Holy Spirit inside of you and then each one of you go and you carry Christ to everyone around you, everywhere that you live, work, and play. That's what the Great Commission's about. That's what God wants us to do. We go, and as we are going, we're making followers of people, making followers of Jesus Christ, pointing them towards Jesus Christ constantly. And that's what a local church is supposed to be. That's what God's desire is for Eagle Wing. That's who I'm supposed to be as a child of God. That's who I'm supposed to be as his son. And the local church, I believe this with all of my heart, the local church is the hope of the world. Because the local church is the only thing that's going to last for all of eternity. It's the only thing that's going to last. That's why we give ourselves to it. That's why we give ourselves to the building of God's kingdom. Because when it's all said and done, all the boats and four-wheelers, and those are fun. I'm not against them, all right? I want one. 
All right. I mean, like, trust me, I got a little fishing boat and I would love to go out on it. All right. But here's the thing. We, those things are not going to last. So why would we not give ourselves? Why would we not give ourselves to making followers of Jesus? That's his desire for us as a local church. And so here's where I want us to end today. Russ is going to come. He's going to play uh, for a minute. And I, I want you to just take a second. And, uh, and I want you to just, to just think through that lens that we talked about just a second ago of live, work, and play. Uh, and Russ is going to play for a minute. And, and I want you just to ask yourself, who are the people, who are the people around me where I live, work, and play who are they're headed in the wrong direction? That they're headed down that path. And then to ask yourself, what, what, what would God have me to do? What would God have me to do to begin to point them towards Christ and make them a follower of Jesus Christ? Because Jesus' desire is that they turn away from those things and come to Him. God's Word says He desires for all men to be saved. And so His heart, His desire is that they would turn away and turn back to Him. So just take a moment and, uh, and you, can, you can bow your head, close your eyes, you can pray, you can just sit and listen, you can do what, whatever posture is right for you. Um, but I want you to take a minute and just ask yourself, where I live, work, and play, who are the people who need Christ? So Father... For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.